Father, we thank you for these these long ago words that you've given to us so long ago that still hold such great value for us, that still speak to our lives and speak to every situation of our lives. God, I pray, open our eyes to the truth of your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not argue with you about whether, whether or not your word is sufficient for us and for our daily living. Help us to realize that it is. Help us to see the importance of the truth of your word lived out in our lives and trusted and obeyed. God, we thank you for the words that we hold in our hands and in the printed word. You've been so good to give us your word. God, now I pray, help us to yield our lives before your word together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Would you go there with me? And we're going to pick up in verses 6 through 9 this morning where we left off last time together, but I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter and just read through where we were last week so that we kind of lay the foundation for what we're talking about this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 is where you can look with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and follow along as I read from my copy of God's Word as you look along in yours. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And then we begin here in verse 6 this morning. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, as we came to these verses last week, we began to note in verse 1 that Paul warns, and you saw it as I read it, Paul warned in verse 1, Timothy, pay attention, Timothy, pay attention, church, that in the last days, times of difficulty will come. Now, you might be wondering, what are the last days? Well, the last days really encompass the time period between Christ's first coming and His second coming. So we are in the last days. And these troubling times that come in the last days will come on the church. That's what Paul is warning Timothy about. And there will continue to be these troubling times for the church, and they'll continue to worsen. And as we noted last time, these troubles will be generated by those kinds of spiritual impostors that we're warned about in verses 2 through 4. That's quite a list I read, wasn't it? You read a list like that and you go, my word, that's a tough list. I mean, heartless, 
people, unappeasable people, slanderous people, people who are disobedient to parents and ungrateful and unholy and abusive and arrogant and money lovers. And you remember what we said last week? That really is descriptive. You could sum it up by saying these are people who are completely wrapped up in love of self. Because people who are completely wrapped up in love of self as opposed to loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others as yourself, people who are completely wrapped up in love of self will begin to display the kinds of things that we see in verses 2 through 4. And Paul says to Timothy, be on guard. This will escalate. Things will get worse before they get better. Sometimes we talk about how surprised we are that society lives the way it does, right? And the things that we see in the news and the things that we see on television and in the media, and we go, oh my, we're surprised. We need to be careful that we don't, that we don't become so surprised we think that, that the church is failing. The church isn't failing if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. If we're resoundingly sounding the truth week after week and taking the truth into our neighborhoods and telling our neighbors about Jesus Christ and living for the Lord Jesus Christ in the workplace and in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in schools, I'll tell you what, we're not failing, we're doing our part, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but we can expect to see things get worse as we await the Lord's return because we're warned about it. Not only here, but we're warned about it in God's Word. And Paul says to Timothy, things are going to get more difficult for the church before they get better for the church. Before Jesus Christ returns, it's going to get more difficult for the church. And then we're, going to, we're going to continue to see these troubling times for the church as we see these spiritual imposters. And that's really what verses 2-4 through four is talking about. Spiritual imposters and the fruit of their love of self. And these troubling times are going to continually be brought on the church by those who are, we could say, they're masquerading spiritually. And we noted that we recognize them by their love of self, which I've indicated already, and all that, and all that produces. Remember, their love of self produces these kinds of things. And we call them spiritual imposters because they practice what appears to be godliness, But in the very truth of things, they deny the truth. And what they're doing, they're actually fighting against the truth of God's Word. They're denying the power of God's Word. They're denying the power of the truth that God's Word teaches. In essence, they're denying the power of the Gospel is what they're doing. And this isn't the only place in Scripture that we're warned about this. One such passage, Titus chapter 1, verse 16, which describes this kind of false teacher also. In Titus 1.16, Paul writes, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. Remember, remember, there's going to be some evidence of a person who's a false teacher or a ministry or, a, or a, an organization that is teaching falsehoods in opposition to God's truth. They deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work, says Titus 1.16. So the instruction that Paul gives is that the church is to avoid them, right? When you come across a person who is headstrong in, in, their, in their teaching and their teaching is, oppos- is in opposition to the truth, then what, what are you to do? You just stand and argue with them? You might try to convince them, but it, eventually you're going to find out you can't convince them. And Paul says, you're going to do more harm to yourself and to the church than good if you spend your time with these people who are corrupted in heart. Don't don't waste your time with them. You're to avoid them. 
So the instruction Paul gives is that the church is to avoid them, and the idea here is then is one that that makes it very clear that the church will have to continue to avoid them and keep on avoiding them and turning away from this these types of false teachers, these spiritual imposters, and keep on rejecting their kind of false spirituality. Why? Why do we have to we have to remain strong and resist this kind of thing creeping into the church? Well, because the church is going to continue to face this more and more. And there are going to be more and more serious challenges from these spiritual imposters from within the church. Note I said from within the church. And the risk to the church is going to be extreme. And the the church risks being weakened in its effectiveness for the Lord Jesus Christ and weakened in its testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ if we aren't careful, if we aren't diligent to mind the truth. to stay with the truth of God's Word and to watch carefully for for falsehoods creeping into the church because Paul warns Timothy, Paul warns the church that that the resistance to the truth of God's Word is going to be stronger from within the church than it is from outside the church. The church is going to be in more danger from within from those who are outside the church. Sometimes we think, the world is going to tear us apart. Oh no, the world's resisting me and the world doesn't like it when I talk about how much God loves me and how much God loves them and how much they need to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ. The world resists that truth at times. Yes, that's true. But Satan is crafty. And Satan is scheming. And Satan is working very hard to put a label on an organization that calls themselves a church that doesn't believe in God's Word. And people will come along and go, that's a church, they must be good, and they must be working for God, and I'm going to believe what they say and do what they say. And Satan is masquerading in this way and drawing people away from the very truth that they desperately need. And so Paul says, avoid them. Don't have anything to do with them and keep on avoiding these kinds of people. Now, even as I say that, I want to remind you, I want to encourage you. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. What we are not saying, what I'm not saying here and what Paul is not saying here, let me remind you that Paul is not suggesting that we are to avoid unbelievers in the world that we, that, that we have been sent to take the gospel to. Paul is not saying... And, and we identified in verses 2 through 4, we look at that list and we say, that, that seems to describe the world. And there's a reason for that. Because those who spiritually masquerade are unbelievers. And they're in the world. And they're acting like those that you see in the world. But what they're doing is they're putting on a mask of spirituality and, and cloaking it in, in what they might call God's Word or the Scriptures or the church. And the reason that they look like the world is because they are the world. But we also need to make the distinction that we are not to separate ourselves from the world to the point where we never take them the gospel. God's word is very clear that we have been sent to give the life-saving, life-transforming message to, to lost sinners who need to be saved. Thank God. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, you can thank God that someone came to you and told you about the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't, they weren't saying, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. They're an unbeliever. They're, you know, they, they have unregenerate kinds of practices in their lives. Well, of course, of course you did before Christ. Of course you're going to act like the world. Of course you're going to act like the devil. Before Christ, you're a son of the devil. Okay? And the world is, is just doing what the father of lies is telling them to do. And God says in His Word, you take the truth to them. But when you find spiritual imposters, you avoid them. But you take the truth to the world who is lost and dying in sin because they're desperate for the truth. 
And if you don't, a spiritual imposter will come along and tell them something that's not true. So let me remind you, Paul is not suggesting that we're to avoid unbelievers in the world that may, of course, live like those that we see described in verses 2-4. through four. We're talking about guarding yourself from, from spiritual falsehoods. We're talking about guarding yourself and the church from those who put on a mask of spirituality. We're not talking about avoiding the very people in the world to whom we've been sent to minister the gospel. People desperately need Christ in your neighborhood. People desperately need Christ in your workplace, and they need to hear you speak the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to see you live the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought not neglect them. You ought not neglect your responsibility. But you also need to guard yourself, right? As we're seeing here in 2 Timothy, we're seeing it again here in chapter 3. So obviously, we need to learn to protect ourselves, and part of that is learning how to recognize those whom we should avoid. And here's how. We've been noting this, and we noted it last time. Since those we're to avoid are putting on a mask of spirituality, but are in truth denying the very power of the gospel, then what we should do to help help ourselves avoid them and to recognize who they are is to hold, hold everyone to a standard of true godliness. Those who proclaim to speak for God, those who claim to be a church, and those who claim to be doing God's work, we had better make sure that what we hold them to is to a standard of true Christ-likeness and true godliness. Those who claim to speak the truth, we say, okay, they say they speak the truth. Does their life bear it out? Is there spiritual fruit? Are, are they acting and living and speaking in a Christ-like and godly way? Because if you see a lack of true godliness, then you can be fairly confident that you're seeing a spiritual imposter. We're not looking for a form of godliness that looks good on the surface. Remember, what we're looking for is someone who has spiritual fruit. Those who lead us and say they're speaking for God and speaking the truth of the Word had better be able to show some spiritual fruit in their lives. We're not just looking at good works here, although that's part of it. We're also looking for spiritual fruit. We ought to be looking for the fruits of the Spirit and other believers and those who lead us in the church and claim to preach and teach and write about the truth of the gospel, the spiritual fruits are what we need to be looking for. Those spiritual fruits we see talked about in Galatians 5 are very helpful for us. When you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has you, the Holy Spirit has free reign in your life, you're, you're going to begin to demonstrate some of the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, some of those things point to and challenge some of the things that we see in verses 2 through 4. If a believer has, is living for Christ, right, and a believer has the Holy Spirit who is supposed to be empowering him when you yield to the Spirit, you ought to be showing growth in these areas. Think about the, the issue of self-control. And the complete opposite of that, that love of self, we see in chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. And then in Galatians chapter 5 also, in verse 24, there's a very clear reminder that those who are truly children of God are not those who live for self, but they're those who deny self, who, who live for Christ. They deny self. Verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. In other words, they've, they've done away with self, 
And they've put on a, an attitude of, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to serve others for their gain and God's glory. I'm not going to just go around trying to satisfy myself at every turn. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's completely opposite to the kinds of people we see described in verses 2 through 4, isn't it? So we help ourselves learn to identify spiritual impostors by holding them to a standard of Christ-likeness and godliness. We're not expecting perfection. I'm thankful that you don't expect perfection from me. I am far from perfect, and and I have uh, nine people at home who will tell you all about my imperfections. That's one of the curses of having so many children. They all just you know know everything about me. Dad, don't forget that. Remember that one time you did such and such, or you said like, "Thanks a lot." I'm really glad you remembered that because I forgot it. You know, thanks a lot for bringing that up. We are imperfect, right? We are sinners. We're not proud of it. I hope but we are sinners, and we need God's help, and we know we need God's help. And we ought to be making progress. And what you, what you ought to see in the life of those who lead the church and speak for God's Word is that they're making progress. Yes, they might take a step back every once in a while and show a lack of progress, but, but they ought to be growing in Christ's likeness as the days and the months and the years go by. And so we can help ourselves by holding those who proclaim to teach the truth and proclaim to, to speak for God's Word and those who lead in the church to hold them to a standard of Christ-likeness is what they're preaching and speaking and, and teaching in line with God's Word. That's the next point. Another way to identify that spiritual imposter or, or truth teacher is very similar to that, that fruit of their living. It ought to be a fruit of their lips. What are they teaching? What are they living And what are they teaching? It should be what comes out of their lips. What comes out of their lips should be what comes out of God's Word, right? See, their teaching is very important. Do they teach the truth of the Word? Does their teaching align with Scripture? And when you compare what they're teaching to the truth of the Word, does their teaching hold up to the scrutiny of the Scriptures? You should be holding me accountable to the Word. You should be holding your Sunday school teachers accountable to the Word. You should be holding those who, who... claim to be speaking the truth of God's Word, hold them to the truth of God's Word. Look look it up. Study God's Word for yourself. Know the truth. Does their teaching align with the Scriptures? And there's more help for us also as we see another identifying characteristic here in verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 again. These spiritual impostors lead away those who are weak. That's one of their identifying characteristics. They lead away those who are weak. Look at verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. And what these spiritual impostors do is they lead away those who are weak. Spiritually weak. We're talking about those who are weak in the truth. Those who are insufficiently understanding of the truth, have an insufficient understanding of the truth, are going to be prone to being spiritually weak and led away. And these spiritual imposters, what they do is they work their work by by squirming their way into households. I like the language that the verse six uses. That for among them are those who creep in. They don't walk in. They creep in. <laughs> They creep into households. You see, they're very subtle. That's the point. They're very subtle, and they do their work because they do it by 
they do their subtle work by sneaking in, by coming in under the radar, so to speak. Verse 6 says they creep into households. And look at who their target is. Their target is, it says here, their target is weak women. And this is not speaking of women in general. Because Paul goes on to describe these women as those who are, look at it, he says, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Now, if you're a student of God's Word, you know by God's design and by the wisdom of God's Word that we're told that, the, that, that women are the weaker vessel. That's the way God designed women. They're the weaker vessel. That's not to suggest, please hear me out, ladies, and please hear me out, young men and, and men, that's not to suggest that women are of lesser value than men in any way. God's Word never says that. Please don't put words into God's mouth when it comes to the sexes, Right? But God does say that women are the weaker vessel. That's the way he designed them. That's simply pointing to the way that God made us and and the way he intends for things to operate. And here's how God intends for things to operate. God intends for men to fulfill their God-ordained role and to protect their daughters and to protect their wife. God intends for men to do their part. It is a... Let me just suggest to you, gentlemen, that it is a huge responsibility. I'm not going to take the burden off your shoulders and say it's not too difficult. It's not a big challenge. It's a big challenge. God puts the burden of responsibility for spiritual leadership on, on the men in homes and in the church. And when we step outside of God's design, we begin to find things start to break down. Right? We see it all around, don't we? God intends for men to fulfill their God-ordained role and to protect their daughters and their wife. God also intends for men to protect their sons also. But God has made sons and daughters differently. You see, a girl, a young lady, is to be protected by her father. A wife is to be protected by her husband. We see this illustrated in Scripture again and again in that if you think about how how young men grow up and how the Scriptures talk about a young man. The Scriptures talk about a young man who grows up and leaves home, right? He is to leave, we say he leaves and cleaves, right, to his wife. A young man is supposed to grow up and he begins to grow up and mature and he leaves home. A young woman, on the other hand, the Scriptures make it very clear and we see it illustrated again and again. A young woman grows up, is protected by her father. She doesn't leave the home. She is given in marriage. You may have never thought about that that kind of language that we see in the Scriptures, but the the illustration is clear, the teaching is clear from Scriptures. Young men are are to be strong and growing in strength and taking responsibility on themselves and going out into the world, and young women are raised and protected by their fathers and then given to to a husband who will take over that responsibility of spiritual protection. Huge responsibility, gentlemen. Not one to be taken lightly. Not one the church takes lightly. And it's not in any way to suggest that women are incapable of caring for themselves or not strong individuals who can have an opinion or wise ideas. God has given men the responsibility of spiritual leadership and seen properly. Here's how we should see spiritual leadership in the home and in the church properly. Seen properly, it is loving, self-sacrificial spiritual leadership. Men, if you're not leading with love and self-sacrifice, then you're 
falling short in this area. You need to grow, and you need to grow with me because I need to grow in this area as well. We need to all grow in our spiritual leadership because if we're not leading properly, you're going to see a breakdown in in the love area and the self-sacrifice area. That will be true Christ-like spiritual leadership when we yield ourselves to what God's Word says is the design for the home and the family and lead properly. And so we see the passage before us when it begins to talk about weak women being taken advantage of. Why? Because there's no protection. Now God has also given women the spiritual protection provided by the church. And it's important that women take advantage of the spiritual protection provided them by the church, especially those women who are find themselves in a divorce situation or a widowed situation or who have a husband who is, a, who is an unbeliever or even a believer who refuses to spiritually lead. The church is there to help. The church is there to help spiritually guide and protect. And the point is here, back to the point. The point is this. But the lack of spiritual leadership and God-ordained protection is going to lead to women, a woman who is in danger of being duped, a, a woman who is confused, a woman who is led astray, who is overtaken because they are spiritually ill-equipped. Someone who is weak in the truth. Think about this. We're talking about someone who is weak in the truth. And I know that we've got many women in our fellowship who are not weak in the truth. Who are godly women. Who pursue the truth. Who live the truth. Who believe the truth. But we have before us an example of someone who is weak in the truth. Who is also vulnerable to being led astray by various passions. Various sins. Paul says that these weak women are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 7 where he says they are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now that's another reason a woman weak in the truth is vulnerable. Why? Because they're, they're guilty over their own sins and they're controlled by their ungodly passions and they're looking for some kind of answer to their troubles. They, they know they have guilt and they're trying to find some kind of an answer to their guilt. Thus they are, it says, they're always learning, always searching for something, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Now at this point you're thinking, wait a minute, you're talking about a weak woman here. What about a weak man? Aren't there weak men spiritually? Yes, there are. There, there absolutely are. And that's very true. Men can be spiritually weak also. The focus of this text is obviously women who are weak in the truth and lack virtue. But we know that there are also men, too, who can be just as easily duped by this kind of a spiritual imposter because men also can be weak in the truth. Gentlemen, it's a challenge to you as well. Do not be weak in the truth. It ought to be a challenge to you because as you see your responsibility illuminated in the text because there's a a woman without protection, it ought to remind you of your responsibility to be spiritually equipped and spiritually strong and leading. And this is just how we find these false ministers doing their work. They're looking for the vulnerable. They're looking for the weak. They're creeping into households. They're taking advantage of those who are unprotected, and unfortunately, it's often, as the passing, the passage here before us indicates, it's often weak women who are most, most at risk. And I'm talking about, again, not women in general, but women who neglect the truth of the Scriptures and, and are deficient in truth. But of course, it's not exclusively weak women. It can also be men who are weak in the truth. Paul's not suggesting that it's only women. 
Now this is why the answer to so many of our problems, and this goes for men and women and young people alike, this is why the answer to so many of our problems is to learn the Word. Get the Word of God into you. Learn the truth. Protect yourself. Protect your family by knowing the truth of God's Word. Gentlemen, you ought to be teaching your family the truths of God's Word, and this can be done in, in many, many ways, simple ways, sometimes very simple ways. I know some, some dads might say, well, I don't have theological training. You don't need theological training to teach your family some simple truths, some basic must-have truths of God's Word. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that. You have, you have questions about that. You ask me because I'm, I'm always looking for resources because I need all the help I can get. And so I have a long list of things that that I try to use and and, um, take advantage of, and I'd love to point you in that direction. Gentlemen, you ought to be leading your family spiritually. Don't let them be weak in the truth. Protect yourself, protect your family by knowing God's truth, taking it very personally and taking it very seriously that you're going to live it out and obey it yourself. Another identifying characteristic of a spiritual imposter is that they oppose the truth. They don't just teach a falsehood. They also oppose what is true. Look at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. I think it's interesting that in the passage here we see Paul gives us the image of weak women and the image of men taking advantage. Okay? And, and nothing, neither one of those should be happening. Women should be spiritually strong and well-equipped, but they should also be protected by God-ordained protection. The husband, the father, the spiritual leaders in the church. That's the way God designed it. But look at this illustration here. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, Paul points to Janice and Jambres as an illustration. He's pointing to this as an illustration. He says, look at what happened in Moses' time. This is not a new problem. Not for this young church age that, that Paul is writing to Timothy about, but it's a, it's a real problem that existed even in Moses' day and still exists in our day and continues to worsen. Now, you may have never heard of Janus and Jammers in the Scriptures, and that's because they aren't, they're not mentioned anywhere else. And we don't find these two named anywhere else in the Scriptures, but, but uh, Strong's has this to say about Janus and Jammers. He says they were two Egyptian magicians who in the presence of Pharaoh imitated the miracles of Aaron in order to destroy his influence with the king, the author of the epistle derived their names from the tradition of the Talmudists and the rabbins. So in, in the writing of Paul's time, they had written about these two Egyptian magicians. So we don't know of these two men from anywhere else in Scripture, but God did see fit to inspire Paul to tell us about them, didn't he? And so we learn something about them here. They were those who opposed the truth. David Guzik writes, These two were able to work real miracles, not mere parlor tricks, but by the power of darkness and not the power of God. When Moses cast down his rod and turned it into a serpent, Janus and Jambres could do the same. When he turned water into blood, they could do the same. When Moses brought forth a plague of frogs, Janus and Jambres could do the same. Yet, eventually, they could not match God miracle for miracle, and their occult powers were shown to be inferior to God's power. And so, Paul warned Timothy, watch out for this kind of spiritual imposter who opposes the truth. Looks can be deceiving. Watch out for them. Watch out for those who, because they have rejected the truth themselves, are corrupted in mind 
And because they have rejected the truth, are disqualified regarding the faith. In other words, God won't have anything to do with them. And because of the warning in verse 1, we're reminded that these kinds of challenges will continue to confront the church and will increase in frequency. And we'll see as we get to verse 13, it also says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Obviously, you're getting the idea, Likely, the likelihood is you're getting the idea that there's great danger to the church. Great danger awaits the church that is careless. But on the other hand, I want you to know this this morning, that all is not lost. All is not lost. All news is not bad news. Look at verse 9. But, here we go, another turn in direction like we saw in verse 1. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. There's a promise here. There's a promise here. Don't forget this. These kinds of false professors of faith won't get far. Those who oppose the truth won't get away with their deception forever. Their folly will be plain to all, just like with Janus and Jambres. And there's a reminder for us in Mark chapter 13 and verse 22 of what Satan is trying to accomplish with these kinds of false teachers. But God will not let them get away with it. Listen. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And the idea here is that it's not possible. It's not, that, it's not like if it's possible to lead away the elect, God's elect will not be led away. It's not possible. That's the point that Mark is making. The elect will not be led astray because God will not allow it. And because of the promise here, there's also hope and encouragement. And so though we find things that seem negative and discouraging here in some ways, and we would be left discouraged if we didn't have verse 9, right? But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Otherwise, we might be led to despair and think there's no hope for God's children and God's church. But there is hope because God says, I will build the church. I will grow my church. I will build my church. The gates of hell, the the lies and the deceit will not stop my church. The danger for God's church, though, is that if we aren't careful to guard ourselves against these false professors of faith, then we may allow great harm to come to those who are looking to us to lead them to the truth. And the danger for God's church is that it is weakened in its effectiveness to spread the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ if we don't avoid such false teachers. And they can be found in many forms these days. What with... How many cable channels do you have? I lost count, right? Hundreds, hundreds, right? How many radio stations can you bring in? And how many can you get over the Internet these days? I listen to Internet radio sometimes. And I listen to good, uh, solid Bible teaching and preaching because I need to hear a good preacher every once in a while. I listen to myself and I'm not very good. Listen to a good preacher, Right? We need all the help we can get, right? But yet, as we search, as we saw it pointed to about these weak women who are always searching for the truth but never finding it, we could be like them in saying, well, I'm always looking for the truth and I'll just take anything I can get. You'd better be discerning about what you take in because all that claims to be Christian is not Christ-honoring. All that claims to be biblical is not rooted in Scripture. And so you need to learn the Word for yourself. You need to... Check out a program that you're thinking about watching and say, does that really jive with Scripture? Is that really what God's Word says? See, God's church 
in a weakened state could lead others away from the truth. So we're warned to avoid these kinds of people who have the appearance of godliness and yet in fact are arguing against the truth and preying on those who are spiritually weak. These individuals are corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. I want to speak to you this morning, especially just for a moment, if you've never trusted Christ. If you've never trusted Christ. And what I mean by that is that you've never come to the point where you've realized that you're a sinner who needs saving and you need to confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you've never done that, and I want to warn you that you are most vulnerable to being led away from the truth. You are most vulnerable to being led away from the truth. And to be guided by the truth, you've got to first come to that understanding that I just stated there, that Jesus Christ took the punishment for your sin. Do you hear that? Which means you're a sinner. You know, that's the point some people have a problem with. They say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so bad. I'm pretty good. You need to understand you're a sinner that deserves the punishment that's coming to you if you don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But because Jesus Christ took the punishment for your sin... You need not experience the punishment for your sin. But you do need to believe in Jesus Christ. You do do need to confess that you're a sinner to God in prayer and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Sometimes that hurdle is confessing sin, though, isn't it? And you need to ask for God's forgiveness and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the first step that you need to take to being led in and growing in the way of truth. You want to be led in the truth and growing in the truth? You can read the Bible, and I would suggest you do that if you're an unbeliever. But you're, you're going to be shortchanged, so to speak, if you just read the Bible before you trust in Christ. And here's why. Believers, you understand this, I think. I'll talk to you if you're a believer this morning. If you have trusted Christ, you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, because when you become a follower of Christ, God indwells you and gives you His power to take in the Word and believe it and see the truth of the Word and be changed by it and equipped with it. And so for, the, for those of you who are a follower of Christ, I ask this. Are you faithfully pursuing the truth? Are you faithfully pursuing the truth of God's Word? And, and I... I consider it a very good sign that you're here this morning. Okay, It's very good that you're here this morning. But that's not enough. Because what I have to say to you in one 45-minute chunk of time, maybe 40, maybe 35 minutes this morning, is not going to be enough for you to sustain you spiritually week in and week out. You need to pursue God's truth yourself. Plus, you need to be able to say, is what He's saying true? Is that aligned with Scripture? And those radio programs and the things that you find on the internet to read and that book your neighbor gives you that says, this is really good, so-and-so's recommended it, and millions of people are reading it, and you can say, does this align with Scripture? If you're a follower of Christ, are you pursuing God's truth yourself? That's the first step. And then the second one is one I call yielding, pursuit and yielding. So you need a a mind that says, I'm going to pursue the truth, and when I get to the truth, I'm going to yield to God's truth. I'm going to do what it says. Is that your attitude? I hope so. I pray that it is. If you're God's child, I I trust, I pray that that's your desire, to want to pursue and know the truth yourself, and then yield to the truth and obey it. 
We're going to see in our studies to come, as Paul points out to Timothy, the real way to guard yourself is with the Word. And I probably say it every week. You need the Word. I'm not going to quit saying it either, because that's the, that's the answer to, to your struggles and my struggles. We need the Word. God's Word is completely sufficient for every area of our lives. Verse 14, we're going to see it in, in the coming days. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. What was that? Well, in verse 15, he says, remember the sacred writings. What's that? God's Word. Remember the sacred writings, God's Word. And then he goes on in verse 16 to remind Timothy that all of God's Word, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Here's why I say God's Word is completely sufficient for every area of your life. Because it's breathed out by God, number one. It's inspired by God. What they wrote, they wrote because God breathed it into them to write it. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that God's people can be completely equipped, thoroughly furnished with everything they need to do just what God intends for them to do, and that is pursue the truth, know the truth, yield to the truth, and tell the truth to people who need to hear the truth. God will be gracious to guard your heart. He will be gracious to guard your mind from the work of spiritual imposters when you are, and I suggest you daily yield, when you are daily yielding yourself to his truth. The question is, will you? Right? Ask God for his help, believer, unbeliever. Yield to God today. Don't put it off another day. Confess your sin. You can do it right where you're at. Confess your sin to God. Believe in Jesus Christ and be born again and then read the truth. Saturate your heart with the truth. I'd like to talk to you. If you're an unbeliever today and you want to know Christ, I'd love to talk to you. If you have questions, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Consider it a great honor and privilege. There are others here, some of our deacons and their wives would love to meet with you and show you how you can know Christ personally. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Our precious Heavenly Father, what powerful reminders we have here of what danger we face when we, when we stray and wander from your truth. God, I pray that it would not be so of us. Help us to take very gratefully the truth that you have laid before us. Help us to read it and study it for ourselves. Help us to make it our own. Lord, I pray, illuminate the truth for us as we, as we open the word before ourselves. And then convict us of of things that we need to confess and get right with you. And change us day by day as we yield to your word. God, I pray for unbelievers that that very well could be here with with us this morning. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes and their hearts to spiritual truth that that we're speaking of this morning. That they would realize they need to be forgiven of their sin. That they would turn to you for salvation. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing their sin. And God, I know they do that. You'll give them your Holy Spirit to strengthen and guide them into the truth and protect their hearts and minds from spiritual imposters who, who twist the truth, even seek to defeat the truth of God's Word. God, guard our hearts, guard us as a church, and help us to be spiritually well equipped for pointing people to the truth with everything that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.